Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tune. Yo, everybody, and welcome back once again after way too long of a break. You guys know how I do. To Simpsons is greater than a Simpsons podcast all about the cultural impact of everybody's favorite nuclear family. And of course, by now, you know I'm talking about the Simpsons. And if you don't know, why are you listening to this podcast? As always, I'm your host, Warren better known to some of you as Bart of Darkness. You might know me from my Simpsons collection over on Instagram or Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not, when you're done with this episode or right now, as I often say, you can go check me out, check out the collection, say hello. I would love to have you. But as you know from the title of this episode, it is not just a normal episode. This is not an interview. It is another deep dive on an episode of The Simpsons. And that episode is Homer Badman. And you also know from the title that I am once again joined by my man, Brandon Withrow. How's it going, Brandon? Hey, hey, man. Going good. Always good to be here talking about The Simpsons. That's what I'm saying. What have you been up to, man? It's been a while since we've done, you know, we did the Mr. Burns a two-part episode a little while back. What have you been up to since then? What's been going on? Oh, man. A lot of, you know, enjoying summer, enjoying the hot, muggy weather, housework <laughs> and all that stuff, you know. Unfortunately, I've been, um, my, my 3D printer is currently down. Oh. So I've, all those projects are on a hold there. Uh, it's, uh, it's got a clog, something so small, but it's such a pain to fix. So I've been putting that off and then, uh, just doing other stuff, man. <laughs> I, I can dig that. I mean, for those who don't know, let's say you're jumping into the show right now. Uh, Brandon is also the person who created that viral sensation of the Little Simpsons TV. Uh, tell me, Brandon, how often do you still get emails about that? I still actually got one just two days ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most, most of the time it's people emailing, asking to buy one. Um, but occasionally I, I get some really sweet emails of people. Cause I also made a build guide on how to make your own. If you can find the parts, uh, right. thanks to the global supply chain shortage, the parts are very hard to find now. Um, but every now and then I get a nice email from somebody that built one and tell me their story about building like a guy that built one with his daughter. I think I mentioned before, which is really sweet. Um, I just got an email from a guy in Ohio that is a photography professor that just wanted to say, hey, I like what you do. And that's always a nice message to get. <laughs> I love that. How often do you get messages where they're like, look, motherfucker, give me a television now? Yeah, pretty, pretty often, you know. <laughs> yeah, like I, I get some weird, I get some that are just like people like, I got one. The guy was like, "I will buy one. Money is no object." Wow. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> I want to be like in a room with them and like slide a number on a piece of paper across to them <laughs> and just be like, "That's my number." <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you, Brandon. I would have a really hard time not just pushing that and being like, "Oh, really? Well, give me ten thousand dollars." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the you know? I, one of my good friends is, uh, has a saying that in negotiations, always be ready to leave. Yeah. If you're always ready to just walk away, then you you you're always you always have the upper hand. I'm not I'm not a negotiator at all. I'm <laughs> I, I I fold like a limp noodle under negotiation. My wife, on the other hand, she like turns into like a superhero when it comes. She like 
like Don Draper thrives for negotiation. She goes, she goes full shark tank. I'm telling you, man, I, does, you know, man. between me and Lindsay, I will manage you. We'll get that. We'll get that big payday. Yeah. I think it's time. yeah. <laughs> One day, man. One day. <laughs> One day. Uh, so like I said, uh, today, this is, you know, we're doing another deep dive episode. Uh, and this is not, you know, it's not just random. This was voted on by the listeners. I did another poll. These were uh, favorite episodes or a top three picked by Cole Bennett way back in episode eight. You might know Cole Bennett as the person who started a, you know, he's in, he worked on a song and a video and some of the stuff that's in the new Minions movie. And it's apparently causing a trend that is getting people kicked out of movie theaters uh, for dressing, uh, dressing up in, you know, spiffy attire and, and sort of going off for the song. Uh, so that is a funny little connection. I've been seeing a lot of things about that online. Have you seen that at all, Brandon? No, I haven't seen this at all. Yeah. yeah. Google, <laughs> Google it. It's, uh, it's worth checking out, but he picked these way back in his episode. And, and so that's sort of the trend. I'm taking favorites picked by previous guests, uh, doing a little poll, seeing what you guys want me to talk about. And I'm happy to say that a lot of you said, well, I want Homer Badman, but I would love for you to talk about these other two as well. So maybe, you know, maybe we'll do a few more of these, um, you know, w- before the next poll. We'll see how it goes. Um, but let's talk about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that I haven't done an episode in a month. And I told everyone a while back, you know, I've said this in so many episodes, so feel free to fast forward through this if you're sick of hearing it. But I did say that I was going to be slowing down a little bit because of some other stuff. And that is still the case. I'm just very busy. Uh, it seemed like there for a while, every week, something would come up. There were scheduling problems or just, you know, or whatever. And that would sort of slow me down or get me behind on the podcast. But as I always remind all of you, you know, go to Bart of Darkness. I stay pretty up on content. I did a few lives where I opened a sealed case of toys. So I'm still doing content, but I am sorry that the podcast slows down. Uh, but, I, you know, I also, part of it is I went on a little vacation. I went water rafting, Brandon. Have you ever been water rafting? No, I've never been water rafting. Are you scared of water rafting? No, not at all. It sounds like a lot of fun. Not at all. Okay, so I was terrified, uh, just to be honest with everyone. My friends had to convince me to do it. Uh, We were able to go to North Georgia on a little trip with some friends, and uh, I truly did not want to do it. I'm I'm not a strong swimmer. Uh, I'm kind of scared of water just a little bit, and uh, but they convinced me to do it. And even though walking down to the water. Uh, was like, you know, marching to my death. I literally just wanted to turn and run away. Uh, I did it. And not only did I enjoy it, but I want to do it again. So hey, that's always nice. It's always nice. I picked up a new, uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it a hobby, but I'll call it an interest. I did really enjoy it. Uh, you know, I felt a little extreme. Uh, so I enjoyed that. So any water rafting enthusiasts that listen to this, make some recommendations for places I should go that are not too scary. Oh, you're going to start getting all the gear. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, you know, who knows how far I'll go. I'm, I don't want anything too crazy, uh, but I did really enjoy it. And it's also, it's always fun to go outside of your comfort zone. Uh, so, a, Brandon, um, you got to go too. Come on. There's a pretty good place in Kentucky and West Virginia. Uh, one of them just became a national park in West wow. Virginia. New River Gorge is one of the newest national parks. Um, wow. I grew up near there. And it's uh, it's a big place for whitewater rafting. They also have they have this bridge that goes over the gorge, and once a year they have this thing called Bridge Day where people jump off the bridge. They okay, bungee, well, let's they bungee not... jump off the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not doing that. I, I will tell you, my biggest fear uh, outside of just drowning. Uh, has got to be skydiving. That is like something oh, yeah. I would seriously never do. Um, <laughs> like I, I mean, you would have to give me so much money. 
I, I just don't think there's any amount that could make me do it. It terrifies me. Uh, so, you know, water rafting was one thing, jumping off a bungee jumping, skydiving, not sure I'll get there, but we'll see one step at a time. <laughs> that, that reminds me of a funny story at, at work one time I was over at the getting some coffee and I had solo one of my friends there. I was like, Hey, how are you doing? And she turned around and she basically like yelled like, hello, like, <laughs> like her, like her energy was turned to 11 and it was like Monday morning, you know, I'm like barely alive. And I was like, oh, hey, you you really got the pep today. And she was like, yeah, I went skydiving two days ago, and I still have adrenaline. She was just like <laughs> full-on adrenaline high from skydiving two days prior. <laughs> you know, I'm just not sure I could do it. I, I just don't think I could do it. But that's, you know, so as you can all tell, I've been busy projects, water rafting. You know, I've also, you know, I want to plug this. I've been producing another podcast uh, for my buddy who owns a record store. Uh, he owns a record store here in Jacksonville called Tiger Records, James Saboni. He was actually episode nine of this podcast, a very early guest. And he is now doing a podcast for the record store where he talks to, you know, friends of his and other musicians and people from that scene uh, about, you know, the record store they grew up with or how they started playing music and all this sort of cool stuff. It's called Tiger Radio. You can find it anywhere and everywhere that you listen to a podcast. And uh, I produced it from top to bottom. I edited it. I, you know, everything. So if you're, if you like the way I make this podcast, go check that one out. Show James some love. I think you'll really enjoy it. Sounds awesome, dude. Yeah, it's good. All right. So let me check my notes here. What else do we have? Um, so for the next few episodes, um, I, I think we're going to switch it up a bit. Like I said, I want to do maybe a couple more deep dives. Uh, one of the episodes that Cole picked was a more modern one. And a lot of people said, Hey, I've never seen this one. I'd be curious to hear a breakdown or a deep dive on it. So maybe, maybe that'll be in the cards. Maybe I'll skip a few interviews, do a few more of these with Brandon. If he's down, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hit him with it live on the the episode. I'm always down. <laughs> uh, and you know, so we'll, we'll do that. I'm going to let you, I'll still let you vote in the future, but maybe we'll do some of these other ones next. Uh, I've also been thinking about maybe doing some episodes about different toy lines. People have told me in the past that they enjoy when I do, you know, when I get into the talk about samples and prototypes and the difference between Mattel and Dandy and all this sort of thing. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe we'll, we'll approach some of that with the same style as these deep dives on episodes. And we'll sort of talk about how the line started and, and things like that. Something I'm toying with. So, you know, so I've got lots of ideas and I say that a lot as well, but I think we could do some cool things that are a little bit different. I mean, how many people can I ask, you know, their childhood story about the Simpsons before they, they start to you know get a little similar. So I want to switch it up, do some other things. Um, and speaking of toys, Brandon, I did note this. Did you see the new drop from Super 7? Dude, I was looking at that right before we started recording. It looks super cool. I didn't realize that they did like, uh, like the articulate hands you could replace the hands and all of that. That's so, yeah. And, and the heads. I mean, so anyone not familiar with super seven, I've talked about them a few times on this podcast, but they, uh, they have a few waves of their ultimates line. So they're ultra nice, like articulated, bigger figures, and they are all pre-order. Uh, most of you that ordered some realize that you still don't have the early waves and they've already released a third wave for pre-order, but these are going to be great. I am fully confident. These are going to be some of the best toys ever. Uh, in this drop, they did Kang and Kodos, Ralph and Mr. Burns. And just if you look at Mr. Burns alone, he comes with an alternate head where his eyes are closed and he's smiling and he can hug Bobo. I mean, these are great figures. They look so cool. You're going to be able to pose them and do whatever you want with them. So, Super 7, go check them out. 
Uh, you will not be disappointed. If it's the first time you're hearing of it, I'm shocked. But everyone go to Super 7, look at all the stuff they've done. They also did a whole line of McBain figures, which are already out, uh, which are so great. So check that out. Um, and, you know, in terms of interviews, I, I do want to hear from all of you. I mean, I've, I've done 60 episodes, most of which were interviews. And I'm always looking for new people to talk to, people that have a cool history with the show or just a cool connection to the show. Anyone that you think has a unique perspective or, you know, does cool stuff and would be cool to talk to, email or DM me those suggestions. I'm always looking to make new connects, new ideas for guests. So please do that. Brandon, anything you want to add before we jump in? No, let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So we're going to talk about Homer Badman season six, episode nine. And this is the synopsis. You know, we like to read a synopsis on here. Homer and Marge hire Ashley Grant, a feminist graduate student, to babysit Bart, Lisa, and Maggie while they attend a candy convention. Homer outfits Marge with an oversized trench coat, hoping to smuggle out as much candy as possible, including a rare, gummy Venus de Milo. Later that night, Homer drives the babysitter home. When she exits the car, he sees the gummy Venus stuck to the seat of her pants and grabs it. Mistaking this for a sexual advance, she runs off screaming as Homer eats the candy. The following day, the entire town is angry with Homer, and he is on a mission to clear his name. What are your thoughts on this episode, Brandon? Obviously a classic, and also like so timely um, in its time, and unfortunately still actually maybe even more timely today than when it was written all those years ago. But we'll get into that as the episode progresses. I also really love, um, it's kind of that classic uh, golden era of Simpsons, even though I don't necessarily believe in the quote unquote golden era of the Simpsons, but right. you know, it's that classic thing where the episode starts in one place and ends up somewhere else, which I, as a kid, I always loved and always kind of like thought about because I was always, um, I've always been interested in story and storytelling. So I've always kind of been picking these things apart, but it, it was kind of refreshing to listen to the commentary for this and to hear uh, Greg Daniels talk about how they they actually like were experimenting with a new storytelling style back then where used to stories would lead up to a set piece, which if you're not familiar with these sorts of terms, like a set piece is sort of a big central element that everything kind of leads to, you know, um, very common in action movies and stuff like that. But right. they, they were experimenting with this thing where they would put the set piece at the beginning and then they would be forced to be really creative after that and come up with a different kind of story and a different kind of thread as opposed to leading to the thing. So here they did that with the, the candy convention being the begin opening set piece, and then it just goes who knows where. And I, I love episodes that do this, that just start in one place, and before you know it, you're like, it makes sense how we got here. I just never thought that this is where we would be when we started this episode. <laughs> I feel the same way. And I think this episode is a great example of like, you know, things the show would do after this. I mean, like you're saying, they, this is like a new sort of style for them. And I think even current day, you see them use this model a lot. I mean, Greg definitely had a huge influence on that. And I will say too, this is an episode that I don't often think of as a favorite, but every time I watch it, it just blows me away. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> so I love Marge and the huge trench coat. I mean, there's just so many memorable things from this episode that for some reason I just don't, I don't, I don't think of as a favorite, but I love it so much. Yeah. And it's also, it's kind of a Marge episode. I never really, until we started watching it and everything, I didn't realize how much of a Marge episode it is because it seems such a Homer episode. It's in the name, but 
Marge plays a pretty big role in the episode. And you she, get does. Some classic she does. Classic Marge moments. <laughs> and and Brandon mentioned Greg Daniels. So I mean, for you know anyone that doesn't know who that is, I, I'm shocked by that. But he wrote this episode, and he's known for adapting The Office for American television. I mean, a, a little show I'm sure some of you have heard of. Uh, he also co-created Parks and Rec and King of the Hill. So I mean, quite a list of credits for Greg. Um, you know, even outside of The Office, which I think will ultimately be the thing he's most known for. He's, I mean, he's done so much incredible stuff and so much funny stuff. Um, it's just remarkable. Yeah. I mean, the guy changed television, you know, truly like the, the documentary style comedy, you know, he absolutely changed the course of television and the, with the office and all that. He's a genius. And, And people argue like that, you know, well, he took that idea from another show, but I, I mean, let's be honest here. At least I feel this way. I think it is much better than its original counterpart. So I think he really pushed it to a new level. And this episode was directed by Jeffrey Lynch, who we talked about back in part one of Who Shot Mr. Burns. He worked on that one. So I won't, we don't have too much more to say about Jeffrey, but this episode looks great. There's a lot of great shots, uh, a wonderful director from the show as well. I mean, with this episode in particular, just another thing I picked up from the commentary is that, you know, it was a, Greg originally like conceived this episode as being sort of a dialogue about what feminism is. And it was going to be sort of Homer's idea of what feminism is uh, coming up against Lisa's idea, which I think would have been a really interesting episode. Um, I agree. But it sort of morphed into this commentary on like the media and, you know, they kind of blended it together, which which is really great. I think it adds a lot of texture to the story and also a lot of the themes. And there is there is some, uh, you know, some feminism in there and that sort of stuff, which is really, really good, um, which is pretty interesting. I also like that it, uh, the other thing I picked up in the commentary was that apparently Greg Daniels had this idea for a candy convention and it was going to be a whole episode centered around a candy convention. And he realized that that didn't work. So he kind of took these ideas and melded them together. And it's it's always great when you you kind of pick these ideas up that are in the cutting room floor and then you push them together and make something as great as this. It's It's awesome. It's great. And something that, you know, you and I talked about a bit is season six is insane, man. I mean, it is. Oh, it, it was it was my favorite season for a long time. I have since moved on to season seven, but that's a whole other discussion. But season six, if you if you had to give a season of the show to someone who had never seen it, I don't think you could ever go wrong with giving them season six. I think it is such a great introduction to the show and just, it's insane how it does not miss. I mean, you can say that for this era of the show. It's a point I always make, but it just, it truly does not miss. Yeah. I mean, three, three of the episodes that we've done reviews of were from season six. The only one that yeah. wasn't was Who Shot Mr. Burns Part Two. And Which then technically kind of is too. Continuation. <laughs> and then your namesake, Bart of Darkness, is the first episode, which I didn't realize was the first episode of the, what, what a opening. <laughs> what an opening and, and also one that feels so different. You know, the, the summer vibe, the pool, all of that kind of stands yeah. out. Okay. So the episode starts with the kids complaining about non-marshmallow pieces and cereal, followed by Homer telling them about the candy convention, how he got the tickets, and why he wants to take Marge instead of the kids, even though Bart and Lisa actually want to go. Oh, damn FDA. Why can't it all be marshmallow? Ew, Bart, go put the non-marshmallow pieces back in the box. They go in the trash. Ooh, you like sweets, kids? I know a place that's sweeter than sweetness itself. In this sweet place, earthly donuts are sour as poison. You'd spit them out, you would. 
I'm talking about the Candy Industry Trade Show! <laughs> How did you get tickets? They hid them in every million crusty clump bar and crusty clump bar with almonds. Not to mangle my merchandise. You leave me no mm. choice but to ask you nicely again. Can I come to the candy shop? No, me. Sorry, kids, but this is the one event I want my darling wife by my side. Oh, well, thank you, Homer. But take one of the kids. Marge, they can't carry enough candy. They have puny little muscles, not big ropey ones like you. Mm. You go, Mom, for the greater good. For the greater good. I, I love in that um, the Marge, you have big ropey arms. That joke always like <laughs> really made me laugh as a kid. Just the idea of like muscles being like giant ropes. It's so it's, it's so good. And I also like when they leave. The Marge is like, oh, also there's a baby somewhere upstairs. <laughs> Maggie always being forgotten. Just always, uh, being, always forgotten. being forgotten. <laughs> Th- this opening scene is really cool too because like. You know, I love the shot of the cereal being poured into the bowl. That's such a cool place to start. Um, are you a big cereal person, Brandon, or were you as a kid? Would you have been the kind of guy to only pick out the marshmallows? I was a huge cereal person as a kid. I would eat cereal all day. Like in the morning, it was like cereal with milk, and you would have not one, but like three bowls of it. Oh. You know, you just keep pouring in. You're like, look around, make sure nobody's watching. You pour it a little more in. And then I'd like get home from school and I would fill cups, which is dry cereal and just eat it, you know? Okay. I well, I did not expect cereal. that. <laughs> oh man, I love cereal. I don't have cereal too much anymore, but as a kid, it was just, oh, it was the best. Absolutely. It, it was a constant in my life as a kid. I was a big, you know, Reese's Puffs, Oreo O's, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Captain Crunch. I mean, I, I, there was not a lot of cereal that I didn't like. Um, I, I wasn't, I will say I wasn't huge on stuff with the fake marshmallows. I mean, I liked it, but it wasn't my go-to. I wasn't buying a lot of Lucky Charms. Uh, I wasn't really into the fruity cereals, but I was really into cereal. And as an adult, I still love it, but kind of like you, I, I just don't keep it in the house. I'll eat the whole box in like three days. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the marshmallow thing reminds me of, uh, my dad when I was a kid for a short time, he had a friend that kind of was a little down on his luck. So dad let him live with him. You know, he lived in the guest room, a guy named Frank. And he was, um, he was a lovable slob. Let's describe Frank like that. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> I a would, couple roommates like that. Yeah. I would come visit my dad on the weekends and stuff. And, uh, I would get there and there'd be like a big box of lucky charms in the, in the cabinet, which is, I mean, you know, if you're a kid that loves cereal, it's like, you you found the Ark of the Covenant, basically. And you'd pull it down, and I'd pour it, and it would be nothing but the cereal bits, no marshmallows. Frank would actually pour... Wow. Dad watched him do it once. He would get, buy a new a new box of Lucky Charms. He would pour it into a giant bowl, and then he would sit and watch TV and single-handedly pick every one of them out, and then dump the cereal back in. <laughs> and I was just like, and Dad, you let me eat this cereal, and did he wash his hands? Do you know? <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I understand that if that is your cereal of choice, you prefer the marshmallows. But I feel like eating a spoonful of just the marshmallows does not sound good at all. No, it gets like gunky on your teeth and stuff. It's just not it's not a good look. Even though I haven't had it in probably 25 years, I, I can still feel that weird, like sort of residue left in your teeth after chewing on one of those yeah, marshmallows. It's like waxy. So, it's kind of yeah, strange. Very, very strange. That's a, I mean, shout out to Frank though. I mean, he knew what he wanted and he ate it. So shout out to him. (laughs) 
So in the next scene, we learn a little more about Ashley Grant, who Lisa is already familiar with, and we see Bart act like the worst version of himself before he is put in his place by the promise of playing a video game. Homer, are all these pockets necessary? They wouldn't be if you were willing to sit in a hollowed out wheelchair. Well, that's a babysitter. No one in town will sit for you two anymore. I have to choose between a grad student at the university and a scary looking hobo. Please, the hobo, please, the hobo, please, the hobo. Hi, I'm Ashley Grant. Oh. <gasps> Ashley Grant! You gave a talk on women's issues at my school and how we don't have to be second-class citizens. Mom, how can you leave us with this maniac? Hurry, Mark! If we get there early, we can get our pictures taken with the two surviving musketeers! Well, there's also a baby somewhere upstairs! <gasps> so, you're one of those don't-call-me-a-chick chicks, huh? Eh, uh, sorry about my unenlightened brother. He will make the next few hours a living hell. Oh, I don't know. See this, Bart? Disemballer 4. The game where condemned criminals dig at each other with rusty hooks. Mm-hmm. Do a little housework and you can play for five minutes. No way. Yes, I'm... See, Lisa? Nails aren't hard to tame. They all follow their video cartridges. <laughs> Now, I don't know about you, Brandon. This isn't as accurate for me now, Um, although I do still enjoy a video game. But when I was a kid, there was nothing that was going to get me to do chores or be on my best behavior like the promise of a new video game. Was that did that happen to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was a Super Nintendo kid for sure. And I I, I noted here, um, the scene always makes me think because the, the game is Disemballer 4, which is very much <laughs> like a Mortal Kombat type game. For it was sure. like that like surge of hyper-violent uh, games that were going to destroy all of our brains in the early 90s. Um, but it was, it was really interesting that it made me think about how there was a Super Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat and a Genesis version of Mortal Kombat. And the difference between the two was the Genesis one had blood. When yeah. you punched people, it was red blood came out. And the Super Nintendo version, they recolored it to like green and black because Nintendo has very strict uh, sort of PG guidelines on what can be in their games and not. And I remember as a kid, it was always about finding the the Genesis version of the game. It's you know? it's so funny how like that, that was, you know, it, it's sort of like anything that was censored at that time. It's like, I mean, they, they know they're beating up the person. I would argue that the blood is not the worst part of seeing yeah. a guy like, you know. <laughs> They still, you know. you, they still allowed the fatalities. You could still decapitate right. a guy, but just, you know, as long as there's no red when you decapitate the guy, it's cool. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> such a it's such a misguided point. I mean, I guess I in some sense of that I could understand, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I was a big Mortal Kombat kid. I also enjoyed Street Fighter, but again, Street Fighter didn't, you know, it wasn't as, as brutal or gruesome, so I, I didn't enjoy it as much, although it was very fun to play. Uh, but if my mom was like, hey, you know, this weekend we can get a new game, but I need you to clean your room, do the dishes. I mean, it was a no brainer. It was getting done. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I mean, especially like video game cartridges, they were like 50 bucks, you know, oh, you had to yeah. like, I remember saving, 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 or just going to the video store and renting three of them and just like, but you only had like three days to play them. You yeah. Know? You had to take them back. <laughs> yeah. Such, so, so good. I rented a lot of video games. I played a lot of games, but as far as this scene goes, I really like that we're seeing like this setup of Bart, it it sort of lets you see like, oh, Bart has not picked up the best qualities as far as respecting women. 
but he is so quickly put in his place. And it's, you know, it's kind of just typical Bart, but I love that he becomes into a, he just becomes a drooling moron the yeah. moment he realizes he could have a video game for five she, minutes, which is she nothing. like leads him into the wall and everything with it. It's great. <laughs> so good. So shout out to Ashley. She, she definitely deals with him. Um, so there's not a lot of good audio in the next scene for the convention, but there is a lot of cool visuals. And so I wanted to note a couple um, back in season five, Lisa versus Malibu Stacy, there's a joke about nuts and gum. And if you look at this big wide shot of the convention, there's actually a huge ad for nuts and gum. So I love that, that they worked that back. in. I, I think this is the first time I noticed it uh, was this time. Something I've told Bill Oakley, I kind of want to try, but I also, it just sounds disgusting, so I don't know if I ever will. (laughs) Um, And there's also a great clip about wax lips that I just have to drop in. Hey, sir, try our wax lips. It's the candy of a thousand uses. Like what? One, a humorous substitute for your own lips. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Two, uh... Ooh, I'm needed in the basement. I love that Homer still fills his pants with the lips, even though he like sees no point in them and doesn't like them. I mean, that's kind of a callback to like Halloween. You know, you go to a you go to a door and you knock on the door, and then they open up the door and in the bowl it's wax lips, and you're like, "Uh, I I'll take it anyway because it's Halloween. But I never understood the point of them. I mean, the the taste is burned into my brain. I didn't really understand as a child that I wasn't supposed to try to eat it. It's just, it's like eating a candle. Like, yeah. I don't understand why these were such a popular thing. I, you know, and it, it was sort of like, it didn't, um, I actually, I actually have some right here. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I, Brandon brought some to the recording. I okay. Did, well, it just, it was, it just worked out. Cause for my birthday, a few months ago, my wife made a pinata and she put wax lips inside of it. <laughs> and I haven't had them or seen them since I was a kid. I couldn't believe they still make them. But it's like the it doesn't have any instructions on it. You just see like the guy with the lips on his face. So as a kid, you're like, is this candy? Is it not? And it, it, inevitably, every kid is like, well, I'm going to try to chew it. You know? Yeah, and you and I mean, you can. Um, it just doesn't really taste like anything. It oh, literally man, is I'm like s- eating. I'm smelling it right now. It smells like the bubble gum that used to be in um, card packs. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I assume, and this is something I should have looked up, I assume that you can eat it and that it's fine, but it definitely doesn't taste like much. And you would think that it would make way more sense to just make them candy. Yeah. Like, just make them like anything else that's like a gummy lips or something. Absolutely. It is, uh, it's refined wax, is according to the ingredients. It is wax um, with sugar and then, of course, artificial stuff. Okay, so I guess you can eat it. Um, yeah. Very, I mean, so I, it didn't kill me, obviously, but it is a very weird taste. I don't know if those are going to taste like the ones I ate as a kid or tried to eat, but it's a very strange. It smells thing. like what I remember as a kid. I, I, I remember putting them in my mouth and then trying to eat them in my. Mo- I think my mom might have stopped me, but I'd already swallowed some of it. That's just like she's like, no, 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 don't eat that's those. Still like, inside you. Know. That's yeah. Still it, inside it probably you. it probably is. Um, where do you stand on most candy, Brennan? Are you are you much of a candy guy? I was a kid. I was super into like anything sweet and sour. So like Warheads. Oh man, you can't be a kid of the '90s and not love Warheads. And then Skittles, like the sour Skittles. I could just like I would eat them until I had like a chemical burn on my tongue. I just yeah. loved them. Yeah, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before. I don't think I have because I can't think of when Warheads would have come up. But I, as a kid, 
One of the meanest things I ever did is I gave my grandmother a warhead and told her it was apple candy. And uh, oh, she looked no. very upset and I thought it would be funny and I ended up just feeling <laughs> terrible. So that is that is a story that I told my friends like, you know, decades ago and they still uh, bring up. So yeah, I was a, I was a funny. little Bar Simpson myself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then we hear Homer get excited about all kinds of gummies, including gummy jawbreakers, which is one of my favorite jokes. Always makes me laugh. All before he sees the gummy Venus de Milo and decides that he has to have her. Ooh, gummy bears! Gummy calves heads! Gummy jawbreakers! What the? That is the rarest gummy of them all! The gummy Venus de Milo! Carved by gummy artisans who work exclusively in the medium of gummy. Will you two stop saying gummy so much? Must have rare gummy. Distract the salesman. No, I won't make a spectacle out of myself any further. Oh, oh, oh. how'd they get there? One of my favorite things right before the, the gummy scene is when, uh, anytime you see Frank, I'm really excited, you know, you throw Frank in there with his glavens and everything. But the, the sour ball, and Homer puts the sour ball in his mouth, it's the, it's like, the scientifically engineered sourest thing on the on the planet and the animation is just amazing here like homer's it's uh, homer's mouth goes it's like ultra pucker so much oh, yeah. that you can like you can see the shape of his skull underneath his skin <laughs> which is so like cartoon characters having skulls is always such a like oh wait this is it makes it it makes the character more alive in a way you know it's pretty and much just, exactly what happened to my grandmother when i gave her that word <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um, the, I also the 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 gummy Venus de Milo. It's a it's a central part of the episode. And as a kid, I never picked up on this. And watching the episode now, I kind of had this connection. You know, there's there's always these like really high minded jokes in The Simpsons because a lot of the Simpsons writers are very very smart people. Um, a lot smarter than me. So a lot of stuff goes over your head and then like the fifth, sixth time you see the episode or now the the 20th time you right. see, <laughs> you start to put the dots together. And like Venus de Milo is the, you know, this is kind of based off the statue of Aphrodite, who is the Greek goddess of passion, fertility and desire. So for that to kind of it's a it's a funny little like nod towards the center point of this whole episode. It's it's never, ever would have put that together ever as a kid. <laughs> I love it. And I love that, that Homer, you know, in his brain, she winks at him. He just has to have this. Oh, that this animation is so good. It's, it's, it's turning, you know, and like doing 2d animation that is 3d like that. And as smooth as that is so like, so difficult and they just nail it. And the little wink is just like, and they even put the little like ding sound in there. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it never gets talked about, but I wonder what flavor, Venus de Milo was. I mean, you oh. would assume like an like an apple candy or apple. something. Yeah, but maybe not. You know, maybe who knows not. what her flavor is? Maybe she was. Maybe it's something special that we can't understand. But Homer had to have it. I wish he would have talked a little more about it. <laughs> so then we have this whole scene of Homer. You know, escape. He's escaping from the convention. They catch him stealing her. He tries to be slick and he just punches out the glass, takes the Venus. And so he's being chased out. He he creates a bomb with soda and pop rocks and he's able to escape. And the writers said of this scene, I thought this was funny. 
Uh, him stealing and escaping was basically just based on every Bruce Willis movie ever. Like it's just sort of this mindless action scene with a great big explosion, uh, which I mean, you can totally see that when you watch it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, it makes a lot more sense hearing that why the sort of the gummy guy was, had this weird German accent, you know, because (laughs) it's kind of a callback to die hard and all of that. I always thought that his accent was really weird and funny, you know, Right. Um, I have to. I have to imagine that that sort of thing. I also like the the pop rocks and soda. Um, might remember the urban legend that if you would eat pop rocks and drink soda, you would explode. Absolutely. Which me and a bunch of friends tried once when I was a kid, and it just made us feel a little queasy. Um, now, will it actually explode if you combine them? I'm not sure about that. Is that a, will it sort of like foam up like that? No. It. I mean, I don't know. We kind of put it in our mouth and then poured soda on top it might have to do with like how much you put in there there's i mean you know there's that mentos and diet diet coke thing that was popular like 20 which years definitely ago. works i definitely did that yeah launched yeah. a two liter like uh, 100 yards <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of insane how how well that works um yeah that's something that i never did. i was always too afraid of well one wasting soda is it only diet coke that that works with yeah it's the aspartame that causes the reaction. Interesting. See, that I didn't know. I didn't realize it had to be diet. So I was always, you know, I didn't want to waste soda. I didn't want to waste Mentos. I mean, the fresh maker. The fresh maker. So I, you know, I I was just never, I was too afraid to try it. I knew my mom would just whoop my ass. So (laughs) that's something I never did, but I've seen multiple videos of it, of it working very well. Don't do it at home. Yeah, I, I will not do it in my, you know, maybe I'll just do it in here. Do a video in the room. Yeah, um, ruin everything. <laughs> so then we see the kids enjoying the candy hall before we arrive at the main setup for the rest of the story. I mean, we've talked for 20 minutes here and we're just now getting to the main setup uh, where Homer pulls the gummy Venus de Milo off of Ashley's pants without warning, scaring her and giving her a very poor view of Homer and his intentions. <laughs> Hey, Lisa, I found a big caramel deposit at the small of her back. I'm coming. (gasps) (laughs) 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 Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's my gummy Jamilo? Okay, don't panic. She can't have gotten far. She has no arms. I'm sure it'll turn up. Take the babysitter home now. She's been sitting in the car for 20 minutes. Relax, Marge. There's plenty for her to do in there. (laughs) See? She's having the time of her life. Oh, a graduate student, huh? How come you guys can go to the moon, but you can't make my shoes smell good? I'm sorry. Ah, nobody's blaming you. Hey, could you take the wheel for a second? I have to scratch myself in two places at once. Just drop me off here. (gasps) Precious Venus. (gasps) Thank you! Now, this is classic dumbass Homer here, you know, because he doesn't think before he speaks. He comes off like a total oaf. But in reality, he really just wanted that candy. I mean, even if he sounds bad and he says things that sound bad, he wasn't intentionally doing anything. He just wanted the candy. But if any normal person could think before they do something like that. I also, I love the, can I, can you hold the will while I need to scratch myself in two places at once? <laughs> that line is so funny. That's like classic Homer, you know, he's just, he's just an animal and he's just, oh, I got two itches, you know? Yeah. Of course you like, 
you don't actually see it, but in your mind, I always imagine one of those two places was his crotch. Yeah, yeah it's got to be. It's got to be. You know? I mean, he's been walking around a convention all day. You Hot, know, he's, he's sweaty. He, yeah. ex- he he escaped. You know, he had a narrow escape. So he's you know he's been he's been working hard. <laughs> I imagine he's a little itchy. I also love that after all the effort to like get the Venus to Milo, you know, he like blew up the place. He stole it. He lost it. Then he finds it. And he just unceremoniously throws the whole thing in his mouth and eats yeah. it and swallows it. Yeah. After I mean, all that, he just, he doesn't even savor it. He's just, ah, oh, that was good. And then moves <laughs> that on. That was good. On with his life. <laughs> right. But, you know, also from Ashley's perspective, I mean, I think, you know, she's totally justified being angry and it's the worst possible chain of events to make Homer look in the wrong. I mean, it looks like he is doing something very unwanted and un, you know, nobody wants that. So yeah. I understand why she freaks out. Absolutely. This actually got me thinking a lot about um, empathy. And it reminded me of uh, the conversation you and I first had the first time I was on the podcast. You asked me, why are Simpsons fans often so creative? And there are, you know, not to stereotype Simpsons fans, but there do seem to be a lot of things that at least when I meet other huge Simpsons fans, they have in common. Creativity is one of them. Also, empathy is one of them. Like you're a very empathetic person. You can imagine other people's circumstances, even if they're something that you haven't experienced. And it seems to be kind of a through line through most Simpsons fans. And I think that it's because, well, I don't know if it's because it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, but this sort of story is asking you to imagine both people's experience. Neither are necessarily in the wrong. Right. You know, they, there's no classic villain where one person did something wrong. It's, it's kind of a misunderstanding and it, it requires an empathetic sort of point of view to come along the ride with this episode. It's really, um, it's really cool, you know, and I'm, I'm not sure if the Simpsons made us empathetic or if we just love the Simpsons because we're empathetic. But it's uh, it's it's definitely something that is required, I think, to enjoy the show. I do think that it played a role uh, in making me that way, or at least contributing to it. Because yeah. you know, when I see things like this, it, you you sort of see all angles. Like you see the fact that clearly a normal person would be smart enough not to to do that. They'd say, "Hey, excuse me, I have something on your pants. Let me grab it." Uh, I also might not eat it. Maybe I, it depends on how bad I want it. I guess after yeah. all he went through, he probably wanted to eat it. But a normal person would, you know, be a little careful with the things they say around someone like that. They also, you know, wouldn't just grab it without saying something. But also the fact that Homer is known for being so stupid and, and often being insensitive and being a little selfish, it's really easy for people to believe that he did it because he sort of has this reputation Absolutely. as just being sort of a mindless dumbass. So yeah. I do think that sort of challenge to your empathy is a very is a is a great thing about the show. It's a great thing about this episode. And I do think Simpsons fans, because of the kind of stories and the the delicate balance of it, they do sort of have that experience more often. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing I just want to throw in really quick that I kind of want to plug. There is a movie called The Hunt. And it's not the one, there was several movies called The Hunt. This one came out in 2012 and it has Mads Mikkelsen in it. It's a Dutch film um, with subtitles and everything. But don't let that turn you off. It is an incredible movie. One of one of my favorite movies from wow. the last 20 years. And uh, Mads Mikkelsen is amazing in it. And this storyline reminds me very much of The Hunt. Because um, it's, I won't give too much away, but it is sort of a, a wrongfully accused sort of story where it, you kind of see how 
these sorts of stories can kind of get, get into a fever pitch and then suddenly reality doesn't really matter anymore because people are so taken with the stories they've created in their head and the story, right. the, the gossip that they've told each other. An amazing movie. Uh, I highly suggest. Anybody likes wow. likes good movies, check it out. Yeah. If you like good movies, if you don't have bad taste, that sounds really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to put that on the list. Don't let me forget. I won't. So next, we see the family realize what Homer is being accused of before he attempts to explain it to the crowd while accidentally exposing himself, followed by him explaining it to the kids. Two, four, six, eight. Homer's crime was very great. Great meaning large or immense. We use it in the pejorative sense. Marge, I swear I didn't touch her. You know how bashful I am. I can't even say the word titmouse without giggling like a schoolgirl. <laughs> At any rate, I believe you, and I think you should go outside and straighten this out. Some of their chants are very catchy and memorable. You grabbed me in the car! Oh, that. No, I was just grabbing a gummy Venus de Milo that got stuck to your pants. Yeah, right. That's the oldest excuse in the book. Boo! Come on, I'm a decent guy. Why would anybody want to touch a girl's butt? That's where cooties come from. Dad, I don't understand. What is she saying you did? Well, Lisa, remember that postcard Grandpa sent us from Florida of that alligator biting that woman's bottom? Oh, yeah. That was brilliant. That's right. We all thought it was hilarious. But it turns out we were wrong. That alligator was sexually harassing that woman. And the dog in the copper tone ad, same deal, Dad? Well, that's kind of a gray area. We know you're innocent, Dad. Thanks, kids. Uh, they seem to be building some sort of a shanty town. So the part of this where Homer explains sexual harassment to the kids might be the funniest clip in the episode for me. And it also might be one of my favorite clips from the show that I often <laughs> don't think of as being from this. It's just so funny. Yeah, it's great. And also, what a what a wonderful explanation for sexual harassment. <laughs> just like the most obtuse example he could think of. <laughs> the alligator. I mean, come on. Uh, just, you know, that's right. We all thought it was hilarious, but, you know, it's just so I, good. I also like the, I can't even say the word titmouse without giggling like a schoolgirl. And then his little, his giggle is just <laughs> like he backs up his, his own claim immediately. Um, I also love Homer's fuzzy bear slippers. I want a pair of those. Those look I want a pair so of those so bad. Cozy. I've often said that I want a robe, like the orange and green robe that he has, and a pair of those slippers. Uh, not because I want to be like Homer. I just think that's a hell of a combination. It looks very yeah. cozy. That's living large. Yeah. And maybe 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 his robe isn't orange in this one, but he, you know, we see him in past episodes uh, rocking that orange and green sort of robe, I think. Uh, he, he obviously has an array of robes, but I want to point out too, like, you know, it is so funny that he accidentally exposes himself because he's, it's right as he tries to say, come on, I'm a decent guy. Like, you know, I take, you know, he's like trying to, he's being sincere. He's like, look, I would never do that on purpose. I'm not that kind of person, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then immediately a gust of wind, just full butcher shop. Everybody sees everything. Um, and, and even though it's clearly a mistake, it just, it just makes him look so bad so quickly. It's great. Yeah, I also noted you get to see a lot of Homer's butt in this episode. <laughs> I mean, I'll, there's like this and then later on the scene in the bathroom, you get to see yeah. his just full on butt, you know. <laughs> he yeah, exposes I mean, himself a couple of times. Yeah, you can't you can't be too mad about that. 
So we fast forward a little bit and Homer is begging Marge to make it all better. I mean, this is something we see with Homer a lot. He's like, Marge, I need you to say something. You know, I need you to make me feel better. She says there isn't much she can do. And as Homer is begging God to help him, he's talking about, oh, I'm, I'm on my own. I'm all alone. He gets a call to be on Rock Bottom, which is a parody of the show Hard Copy, which aired between 1989 and 1999. Do you remember this show at all, Brandon? I remember the show. I never watched it, though. I just remember seeing the sort of um, really, like, really garish commercials for it, you know, and they, it was very, they very much capture the feeling. I have to imagine that even in the time when I was watching the Simpsons, there was a commercial for hard, hard copy while watching this episode during the commercial break, you know, yeah. but I never watched it. I did a little, I did a, I read the Wikipedia on it because of in the research of all this. And I thought it was interesting. They were um, involved in several controversies over the years. It seems to be kind of like their thing to be involved in controversy. And uh, one of them is that Elton John attempted to sue them because they claimed that Elton John bought a mansion in Georgia, the state, and was moving there because he had HIV, which is pretty like just cooking stuff up. You know, Jesus. He, didn't, he, he didn't even buy a place in Georgia and he didn't obviously have HIV or anything. And he uh, he sued them or threatened to sue them. And then the next episode, they just like made like a really weird sort of comment. They didn't say that they were wrong. They just kind of were like, yeah, that Elton John's a pretty good guy. And then he dropped the lawsuit. It was very, very strange. But this wow. seems to kind of, that kind of stuff was their sort of MO, you know? Yeah, it's, it seems to me like, and I do remember it. I don't think I ever really watched it. I'm sure maybe my grandmother did or something, who knows. Uh, but it was definitely known for twisting the facts to push a certain narrative. It's very, you know, uh, it's like it's like reading any sort of tabloid. It was just like a, a visual tabloid. Uh, and I know from reading about this episode and just knowing a little about David Merkin as a person, he really hated this sort of thing. Uh, like this was something that really bugged him. He often made jokes about it. And I'll talk a little more about that after this rock bottom clip. But I want to I want to play this. This is where they take Homer's explanation that he calmly gives and they edit it to completely change what he actually told them. Somebody had to take the babysitter home. Then I noticed she was sitting on the gummy Venus, so I grabbed it off her. Oh, just thinking about that sweet, sweet candy. Oh, I just wish I had another one right now. <gasps> but the most important thing is... That was really great, Mr. Simpson. We got everything we need. Okay. Say, can you introduce me to the Sasquatch? I like his style. Here comes the bouncing ball of justice. Tonight on Rock Bottom, we go undercover at a sex farm for sex hookers. I keep telling you, I just grow sorghum here. Uh-huh. And where are the hookers? Round back. Oops. But first, she was a university honors student who devoted her life to kids. Until the night a grossly overweight pervert named Homer Simpson gave her a crash course in depravity, babysitter, and the beast. Ah, oh, crap. Somebody had to take the babysitter home. Then I noticed she was sitting on her sweet can. I grabbed her sweet can. Oh, just thinking about her can. I just wish I had her sweet, 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 sweet can. So, Mr. Simpson, you admit you grabbed her can. What do you have to say in your defense? Mr. Simpson, your silence will only incriminate you further. No, Mr. Simpson, don't take your anger out on me. Get back, get back. Mi Mr. Simpson, no! Dramatization may not have happened. 
So David Merkin, he was showrunner for seasons five and six, felt very strongly about the tabloidization of the media and has said that the episode, you know, back in even 2005, he said it was as current then as it was at the time. And and since then, things have gotten even worse. So several gags in the episode are based on what real life shows like hard copy would do, such as making people look to be guilty without a trial, as well as, you know, like you said, with Elton John, creating a complete invasion of privacy by setting up camp outside people's homes and just flat out making up stories. So it is wild that that was a thing even, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, I also like the the joke by uh, Kent Brockman where he's like, if you, they show the poll whether Homer's guilty or not guilty and all of that. And it says it's very much stacked on the guilty side. And he said, of course, this isn't legally binding unless Proposition 502 goes through. And we all pray that it does. Where just <laughs> as, a, as a mass based off of not even evidence, but, you know, just fabricated bullshit, we could decide if somebody was guilty or not, which... Man, talk about being ahead of its time. Like now with the, you know, all of the stuff happening, people just get strung up without even a, a question, you know? Yeah. It's also interesting to think about the the way they re-edited Homer, you know, it, now like with deep fakes and Dolly and all of this like AI generated uh, reality. It's it's super interesting to think about. I, I can't decide if I... so. Let me just say that I love Dali. I think it's one of the coolest Hilarious. things possibly to exist. Uh, all you know, even the mini version, which is very unadvanced. But if you start seeing some of these images from the actual, you know, the real deal, full scale Dali, Dali two, it is remarkable. It is what this thing can make. I, you know, it is um, it's terrifying in in a way, but it's also remarkable. I mean, you can I've seen there's whole threads. There's whole threads of Homer Simpson ones that look way too good. The fact yeah. that an app, the fact that a program can generate this sort of quality just based on a trained library. I mean, it's going to change everything. It's going to change design. Clearly, none of it is perfect. You wonder if it will ever get truly perfect. Yeah. But even if it saves you 80% of your time, like that is a remarkable invention. It's pretty um, amazing, and I'm sure yeah. tabloid people are salivating on it. You know, oh if you my think God. about like the 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 paper tabloids. You know, there was always like Bat Kid and like the UFOs, Sasquatch, and stuff like that. You could just t- type, you know, Sasquatch trail cam into Dolly Mini, and there you go. You got your cover cover photo. I'll tell everyone a, a little hack. If you want to make a funny Dolly, go go to the the Dolly Mini. Anything trail cam or like security footage. Yep. Will look very good. Like There's that's going to be the most accurate ones. That it's it's funny too because the more we use it, the more we train it. So mm-hmm. as these memes rise, you know, the more people somebody's like, oh, the trail cam thing's funny. And then everyone's trying the trail cam thing. It gets better at making the trail cam things, which yeah. is really um really interesting to watch it sort of learn. It's basically we're teaching it how to be a meme generator. Yeah. <laughs> Soon and, we and, only have to type the prompt. It'll just be funny stuff comes out. And of, and of course, that is literally like all things like this is just classic, you know, American culture. We take yeah. something that has actual implications to be helpful and we just make memes with it. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did. I'm no different. I did Darth Maul CCTV footage. You know, oh, I did yeah. trail cam of Yoda playing basketball. I mean, you do all this weird stuff and it makes some really funny images. It does. Um, There's some that, you know, you can do really offensive stuff with it if you want. Uh, But the fact that that technology is getting that good that quickly, 
I, I can't say I'm too scared of it. I think people tend to be a little doomy about that because yeah. technology, you know, for all its for all its faults, like we still need to advance technologically. It all depends on how we use it. So uh, it is it is extremely fun to play with. Uh, extremely fun to make maybe a dark joke you only you only share with the group chat you know I don't yeah, know yeah. but uh, it's it's incredible yeah another another nice uh, tip for Dolly is stormtroopers work really well yeah they do I did uh, stormtroopers at a disco and man <laughs> I like look at that photo once a day and just have a good laugh it's just funny uh, a friend of mine did minions lawnmower and I think that's probably <laughs> one of the funniest ones I've seen <laughs> uh, also anything with the xenomorph from Alien uh, oh, a buddy of really? mine did. Uh, Xenomorph in a convertible, just hands down one of the best ones I've seen. So See, I'm that's funny because people just have to like it's almost an exercise in writing and yeah. kind of behind the scenes that the impressive thing about the techno technology of it isn't necessarily the image generation but the natural language processing side right. of it. It's like revolutionary once they introduce this sort of natural language processing into like search and Siri and well, it won't come to Siri, but you know, Google <laughs> it's some really crazy things are going to happen. You know, these digital assistants are going to get so much smarter and they'll be able to make xenomorphs driving convertibles for us. Yeah. I also did. I did Tony the tiger in an episode of Seinfeld worked very well. <laughs> I, I think part of, part of the humor <laughs> to me about Dolly is the fact that, then the things people type in is almost funny enough without the images. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my so, brain's creating the image when you just said that and it makes me laugh. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So everyone, you know, you know what? I don't know how much I recommend it, <laughs> but yep. if you have some time to kill, go check out Dolly. You can Google it, find the link. I'm not going to subject anyone to it by putting it in the description of this episode, Yeah. Uh, but apply for Dolly too. And there's a Twitter for both of these where you can look at really crazy ones. People make definitely worth a, uh, worth the scroll. Okay. Yeah. So before we move on, I, I'm just going to play Homer's rendition of Under the Sea just okay. because I want to. Under the Sea. <laughs> under the sea, under the sea. There'll be no accusations, just friendly crustaceans under the sea. Homer, that's your solution to everything, to move under the sea. It's not gonna happen. Not with that attitude. Now, I didn't, I mean, first of all, this Under the Sea clip is just very funny. I mean, so the family good. is playing instruments on Under the Sea creatures. Uh, Homer is just eating everything. Somehow yeah. everyone can breathe perfectly fine. <laughs> it's a glimpse into Homer's dumb mind that I always enjoy. Yeah, kind of like the land of chocolate bit. Yeah, very, com very comparable to that, uh, definitely. Now, I didn't clip any of this, but apparently the Ben segment, uh, you know, Gentle Ben was based on the right. This is a direct quote. It was based on the writer's feeling that anyone could host a talk show because all they need is a microphone and an audience. Um, how do you feel about talk shows, Brandon? Cause I don't disagree. I remember growing up and like getting, uh, having a sick day or a snow day and you're like, yeah, I have the whole day off of school. I'm going to watch TV all day. And you turn the TV on and it was like soap opera, soap opera, talk show, talk show. And it's, you were just like, 
this is so disappointing. I'm wasting my time not at school, you know, because <laughs> I, I want to binge watch The Simpsons or something like that. Also, I mean, we, we'd we be remiss to not uh, mention Jerry Springer, the king oh, of, yeah. of this kind of talk show, who um, he was the uh, mayor of Cincinnati, Ohio before, yep. <laughs> which is a pretty fun fact that I love to throw out there. <laughs> <laughs> I do love this clip, though, because I love that Ben... You know, he's a bear. He's hungry. And they're just yeah. like, Ben, no. Like, I love that whole <laughs> the, shot. I love the the cacophony of the whole thing. Suddenly they're shooting. <laughs> like, they're at the ready. Like, this happens all the time. Just, <laughs> just got the little standby image ready to go. Yeah. And th- that's another great sort of Simpsons classic gag is the standby image. You know, you got the gentle Ben one. Um, there's the, the classic one. I don't know what episode it's from, but it's a Kent Brockman one. And it's like a TV operator and he's drunk. Yeah, always oh, so good. So good. I think uh, it's where he's talking about ants taking over the the planet. I think. Oh, is that Deep Space Homer? I think it's from Deep Space yeah. Homer. Yeah, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. I welcome our ant overlords. <laughs> it's so good. So yeah, I mean that is like a great bit in itself. Um, I I love that theme in the show that it's always like they always have a, a cutaway ready to go. I like the we'll be right back one where the guys clearly had a couple behind the camera. That's also really funny. Yeah, yeah, love it. So things continue to get worse for Homer as he becomes a prime topic of the media, including a made-for-TV movie. And now we return to Fox Night at the Movies, Homer's Portrait of an Ass Grabber, starring Dennis Franz. Ooh, portrait. Sounds classy. Doesn't it? I don't care. Now I'm gonna grab me some sweet. No, Mr. Simpson. That's sexual harassment. If you keep it up, I'll yell so loud the whole country will hear. <laughs> With a man in the White House? <laughs> Not likely. <laughs> I like the, what, with a man in the White House? And then he just laughs. laughs. And also, like, he, like, runs over a cat. They did everything to make him seem like the most evil person ever. It's yeah, like and they also made her look even more innocent. They gave her the pigtails. Oh, yeah. They absolutely. make her a little, a little younger, which is creepy. Like, it's yeah, very strange. Yeah, absolutely. And then they, like, throw his little tag, like, mm, something sweet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> also, the um, right before that, the uh, oxygen tent gag. Where Homer again gets exposed, we see Homer's butt. He falls in the bathroom, and then the the pulls the curtain down on top of him. The news captures it, and they're like, "This just in: Homer sleeps in an oxygen tent that they believe gives him sexual powers." <laughs> that was based off of a tabloid headline about Michael Jackson. Really? Apparently, Michael. There was a headline that Michael Jackson slept in an oxygen tent that uh, he believed slowed the effects of aging, which is just absurd. So they lifted that right out of the headline and then just kind of adapted it for this episode. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing that helped the aging was the constant plastic surgery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't believe it was an oxygen tank that did that. Oh, you, what everyone does, the constant plastic surgery. Yeah, the constant plastic surgery. I had some last night. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that's a great scene. Uh, the constant berating of Homer's house is just something that really cracks me up about this episode. It makes you feel bad for him, too. It's like, 
the guy can't even take a shower without being harassed, you know, by a helicopter. Yeah. Um, and so you're just sort of seeing everything pile up on top of Homer and it's getting really bad. Yeah. It's, it's impacting not only his life, but his family's life. His house is a constant like circus of just media attention. They follow uh, him to work. He's in traffic right. and they're rocking the car back and forth. <laughs> that is a great joke that I forgot to mention where they're all in the room with him shaking him. And he's, yeah. he's like, nah, they're with me. There was Smithers just li- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We're not too crazy about nuclear power either. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So, Brandon, sort of going back to what David Merkin said, you know, we're talking about the tabloidization of the media. I'm really glad I nailed that word first try both times. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, how current would you say, you know, this this media sequence feels? Like the way that they're approaching all of this. How how current does it feel to you? Oh, super current. I would even think that it's more relevant today than it was in the time that it was written. Like a lot of the, the internet and all that has kind of become uh, like a, a deformed hyper version of hard copy in some ways, you know, like yeah. there's, there's, there's like political media, which is twisted and bent for political reasons, but let's just like push that to the side, not think about it for a moment. Cause it's horrible. And like, think about more like hard copy, which is more just like being like, absurd and you know acting badly just to get attention kind of like it like bart almost you know right and it it feels like a lot of the internet kind of is that way especially youtube i wanted to i've made a note of this have you heard of this microwave thing on youtube no what is the microwave thing so apparently you know there's all like youtube is full of these like do-it-yourself videos and all that and they're always like explaining something and making something really difficult seem really easy you know it's almost like you know pinterest fails and that kind of stuff right where people are like oh it's super easy to you know do this you just do these three things and you know now you're a guitar god and like this sort of stuff and they're like it, people click on it and they watch it just to, you know, and it started with the glue guns and all that. Well, now there's this whole like subsection of the do-it-yourself YouTube culture where people are doing microwave hacks. So people like take old busted microwaves. Also, just before I say any of this, please, nobody try any of this stuff. Like a microwave. Yeah, do not do not try to fix a microwave. At yeah. least not on our recommendation. Totally. Well, they're not even doing that. They're making like arc welders and stuff out of it. And okay. They're trying to they're trying to make it seem like oh, it's super easy to do. You just you know cut a few wires and tape it in and plug it in and two thousand volts. You know that's like dead Jesus. before you hit the ground thing. So th- this has been really like kind of super popular there have been like oh man i think it's in the 60s of people that have died watching these videos and trying to make something out of a microwave so this woman who had a pretty popular do-it-yourself channel she um made a video that was saying like begging people not to do it and explaining all the ways that it could just end your existence and youtube took her video down for being dangerous they didn't take the other videos down, but they took her video down and it was some sort of automated thing that like just flagged it because she said like a certain keyword and they took it down. So like <laughs> it's it's so funny, like they put these things in place to stop bad things from happening. But the 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 bad videos are getting so many clicks and likes that they keep them on. And then the algorithm is filtering out the people that are like, don't do this, you know? Right. It's It's because they want to run those ads, you know? And I I don't think, you know, I'm I'm sort of an optimistic person. I don't think that it's always cruel intentioned when companies do this, but a lot of times it is and they know what they're doing. And, you know, I think the internet has gotten way too comfortable allowing 
views and clicks to matter more than substance or actual fact. Like one thing that I see a lot, I saw it today is you see these videos where people are like, oh, did you know that all the cups from Starbucks actually hold the same amount of liquid? And it's like, it's not true. It's like, it's a, it's a (laughs) fake thing. There's like videos of people doing it and they're like, whoa. And it's like, you know, you have liquid in those other two cups. Yeah. Like, why are you projecting this myth that you know is fake? And it's because, you know, people will click on it and they don't get taken down because the company knows it'll make people go to Starbucks and buy coffee so they can try it. So it's like, it's this weird cycle of just like, you know, sometimes if you look at your, your suggested or your popular page on Instagram or anything, you'll see the same thing posted by like five accounts and it'll be some like meaningless video, some meaningless meme or just like picture. And they'll have, you know, each account will have like 30,000 likes on it. Crazy. And it's because the algorithm for all the good that it does, it prioritizes these things that are just clickbait, just like anything else. News, you know, all media is biased based on what will get views and clicks. And I think that that is, you know, you said set the, mainstream media and the political bias aside, that is the same thing. It is all, everything is clickbait now. Uh, There's so little substance. I mean, even no matter how you feel about, you know, CNN or Fox News or whatever side that you're on, I mean, I wouldn't watch Fox News with a gun to my head. However, they do the same thing roughly, although one is far more offensive to me in, in Fox, but they all are strengthening their core viewership. They're not actually looking to give information in the same way that they are, strengthen their brand, build a a loyal fan base of bias that will only come to them for their news. And I think that that serves no one because it makes people like me dislike someone who makes them dislike someone who makes them dislike someone. When most of us, I often say, have a lot in common. Most of us would agree on a lot of things. And the people that are radical are more fringe. Yeah, I think at the core, all people are generally the same. There's, of course, you know, um, exceptions that prove the rule and that sort of thing. But like most people just, you know, like love the people around them and care about the life that they have. There's really hurt people that lash out because they're really hurt. But like at the core, like we just everyone's just trying to take care of the little circle that's around them. And then the problems happen is when you think that the rest of the world is threatening your little circle and that's what this media feeds on and all of that. I think I think your point about it all being for clicks and likes like really brings it back to this hard copy thing because it was just for ratings, it was just for viewership, you know. It's just about, you know, look at me, look at me. Uh, kind of it makes me think of um another I thought of this a lot uh back in 2016, but the Simpsons episode, it's the Treehouse of Horror with the advertisements that come alive. And then the little jingle, just don't look, just don't right. look. It's it's very much that. Like sometimes you just have to just, just don't, just don't look, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> don't give it power. But, but, but that's the worst part in all honesty is that, you know, they have a loyal base that believe everything they say or they use it for their information. Then you have other groups of people that use social media for that information. And it becomes really hard to have like a valuable and viable source for information that is just true Yeah, because everything is, yeah, I mean, we see it in the way headlines are worded. Like they will go out of their way to say something in a way that is misleading so that you have to read the article to understand the title. Oh yeah. Um, and, and just all of that, it just keeps, it, it divides people and it keeps people from actually, you know, knowing the truth. That's why people believe such 
ridiculous claims about like uh, stolen elections or, you know, um, just, just, yeah, or microwaves. It's just (laughs) all of these things are perpetuated because we allow things to be so divisive or we don't allow it. But at this point, what can we do? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I agree with you. I don't think that, you know, it's really easy to blame big tech, just like it's really easy to blame big media. But we are sure. we are culpable in that. Like we are participating in it just as much as they are. And like, especially with the the algorithm, people love the boogeyman of the algorithm. But it's it's also like a lot of it is just, you know, we're we're programming human nature into a thing and it is just amplifying some of the worst traits of human nature. Right. Um, which is, you know, I think it takes a lot of thought and care to do these things in an empathetic way. And often I've, I've worked at a big tech company. Often it's, you know, we got to get this done and we got to move on to the next thing because we are struggling to stay alive or we just want to make more money. And you don't have time to be empathetic and to have these thoughtful conversations. It, it reminds me of that my, my favorite Jurassic Park line of all time is Jeff Goldblum saying we were too preoccupied with whether or not we sh- could to stop and think if we should. Right. And that just, I think that sums up the last 30 years of human existence and technology altogether. But I'm glad we got Dolly out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're absolutely right. And the thing I will say, um, and I do agree with you, but people complain about the algorithm. Like you said, they boogeyman the algorithm. However, I I also can complain about it and be like, oh, sometimes my things don't get seen yeah. as if I don't look at the things I complain about seeing. I'm like, man, I wish they would stop showing me so many, you know, Absolutely. recipe videos or, or blah, blah, blah. But then I catch myself looking at it. I mean, the yeah. algorithm can only do what it can do. Oh, so. I hate, I hate when I, I'll, I'll be like scrolling Twitter and then I'll click on a post and right after I click on it, I see that it's promoted and I'm like, no, they no. <laughs> tricked me. I clicked on an ad. I thought it was a genuine thing. And before I know it, I'm in like some website that has like 3,000 pop-ups. And I just, I burn my phone and I walk away and I buy a new phone moments <laughs> later and get right back on the internet. <laughs> right. Well, what? and I'll tell one more little little thing before we move, get back to the episode. But yeah, this is yeah. all relevant, I believe. Um, because the only difference between what happens in this episode and what happens now is they would we would have already moved on from this story if it was if it were modern day news moves much faster oh, yeah. than it did in you know 94 so you know, that's the the only real difference but like a friend of mine in terms of the algorithm he was complaining about he's like i don't know if you guys see these but my instagram constantly shows me these videos of these people playing drums with like paint on them or just like these bad drum videos what? and he complained about it for days and i was like well, Jason, are you, are you looking at the videos? Are you watching them? And he's like, yeah, because they're so bad. And I was like, well, that's why you keep seeing. (laughs) So I do think we have to be reminded that like, yeah, it's annoying if we see stuff we don't want to see, but if we engage with it, we're going to keep seeing it. That is what the algorithm does. We, we teach the internet how to treat us. Right. By interacting with it. Yeah. Better for actually for worse or for worse. Yeah. I'll say for worse or for worse. (laughs) Okay. So things. We'll get back to it. Things continue to get worse for Homer as his friends sell him out right as he thinks they're coming to support him, and his family has a hard time believing him over the TV they love so much. I don't have a friend in the world. Oh, really? Come on, let us through ya, vultures. Oh, Marge, it's a miracle. How can you judge this man without talking to the people who know him best. 
We got the real dirt on Homer Simpson, and the bedding starts at 10 G's. I did 10 G's. 10 5 G's. Oh, I need a hug. How come you guys hesitated? Sorry, Dad. We do believe in you. We really do. It's just hard not to listen to TV. It spends so much more time raising us than you have. Oh, maybe TV is right. TV's always right. Are you hugging the TV? No. So I think this is another tough scene because... You can sort of understand both sides. I mean, they love Homer and they claim to believe him. But when one idea, I mean, this goes back to what we're talking about. When one idea is pushed so hard by everyone else, it kind of becomes hard to know how to think or feel. Yeah. If, if, if all you hear is one point of view, then eventually that point of view becomes truth. And it's uh, it, also, I really love the line. Um, it's hard not to listen to the TV. It spent so much more time raising us than you have. <laughs> I love that. It's I so love good. them running to kiss the TV in secret. It's like, are you yeah. guys hugging the TV? You know, yeah. uh, really, really great. I mean, especially, you know, for myself, even if I don't like someone, it's easy for me to believe something bad about them. I mean, that comes back also to this whole conversation of like, if you are prone to be biased on either side, and something negative comes out about someone you don't like or something you don't trust, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's got to be true. Um, it's just the way we're all wired. Yeah, absolutely. So next, the family comes to Homer. We sort of see him at his lowest. He's laying in bed, watching TV. He can't find anything that isn't about him. He's just trying to get his mind off of it. He finds this awful comedy special with a really <laughs> great bad joke about Mr. E.T., um, and they come with him to an idea to help him clear his name by explaining himself on public access TV right before Homer makes homemade Prozac. Now it's time for the Innocence Report with Homer Simpson. Hello, I am Homer Simpson, or as some of you wags have dubbed me, Father Goose. You know, everybody believed the worst about me right away. Nobody cares that I didn't do it, but I did it. Okay, look, I've done some bad things in my life, but harassing women is not one of them. Like one time, they're having this race with this stupid old-timey bicycle with the big wheel in front. So I figure, we'll see about that. So I get this big chunk of cinder block, and I... Oh, gotta go. Innocent! Dad, you did it! I am so proud of you! The switchboards are lighting up! Yay! Two calls! That's our best ever! Hello? No, Janice doesn't live here. Hello? Yes, I am interested in long-distance savings. Very interested. Marge, this is so depressing. My only hope is this homemade Prozac. Hmm, needs more ice cream. I really love in this clip the, uh, the unshaved shaggy Homer look, you know, his, yeah. his classic sort of mouth bubble. It's just got little shaggies on the fringe and it's, it's great. I just, yeah, love I, I love him laying on his side. I mean, we've all been there, you yeah, know, absolutely watching lost for 40 hours straight. Homer in that scene is definitely me at like peak pandemic. Like that's pretty much, I mean, it's, I, I see a lot <laughs> I of think all of us yeah. <laughs> underwear on top of the TV. Yeah. And I mean, come on, I see where you noted here, Marge says, the most decorative thing of all, the truth. <laughs> That's so peak Marge. I love Marge's like 
like unwavering optimism. She just thinks so much better of everyone else than they actually are. It's just the best. <laughs> it is. I totally agree. Um, and I want to shout out. So, you know, we're t- this clip talks about the homemade Prozac. And I had Laurel Randolph, who if you're not familiar with Laurel Randolph, she wrote a cookbook called The Unofficial Simpsons Cookbook. I had her on back in episode 40. And in her cookbook, she actually included a recipe for homemade Prozac. So I wrote that down uh, because I think, you know, I'm going to have to make this, I think. It sounds very good. Uh, So all you need is a two liter bottle of ginger ale, a 32 ounce bottle of 100% dark sweet cherry juice, one gallon of vanilla ice cream, slightly softened. And her instructions are, Add ginger ale and cherry juice to a large punch bowl. Gently stir. Stir in scoops of vanilla ice cream until desired taste is reached. Serve to depressed guests. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It's like a float smoothie slushy thing. It sounds really good. And I, really I always good. try to plug this cookbook. You can find it at most stores that sell books. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at FYE even. I've seen it, in, in, I've seen it out and about several times. But she found a way to make all of these ridiculous recipes sound delicious. And I'm sure they all taste good. She said that was a big thing for them. So if anyone makes the homemade Prozac or if you buy that cookbook, let me know. Sounds really good. In terms of public access TV, Brandon, did you watch much of that as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was a huge Bob Ross fan. I know that's PBS, but it's kind of the, you know, a kissing cousin to the whole thing. I love yeah. watching some Bob Ross. There was also a few like kids shows on public access that were kind of like Captain Kangaroo, you know. Um, and I had, uh, there was a couple of kids in my school. There was one in Kentucky and there was a couple of kids in my school that got on one once and it was like, they were the most popular kids in school. Cause they were on <laughs> my, uh, my, my wife, Lindsay was also on a soul train type public access tv show in san francisco once where they just they had it used to run every week it was called dance party and it was canceled during the pandemic um it had been going for like decades and they had a sort of casting call every week you just show up and they would pick the people like that were kind of the most outrageously dressed the most funky dressed and stuff like that they let them in and they would just play funk music for an hour and people the cameraman kind of like weaves through the room while people are dancing and stuff like that so there's a pretty pretty great clip of my uh my wife on that wearing wearing a bandana and looking. that's like a- <laughs> awesome i was just about to ask yeah i i think you know there are some really amazing compilations online of just like funny public access stuff and it's really entertaining i don't know if you've ever seen uh, there's a video that my friends and I used to quote constantly. We were sort of obsessed with this video. This is like early 2000s internet. Uh, but have you ever seen a video of a guy named John Dacre no. singing a version of Amore? And then he also does like, like a, like I think he does a, a religious song. I'm already forgetting which other, <laughs> like a hymn. I'm forgetting what other song he does. But when he does Amore, he just completely forgets the words. And his demeanor is so strange that you would swear it was like a bit from like, you know, SNL or something like it's so bizarre. I'm going to recommend you look this up and anyone listening, but it has to be one of one of the funniest early videos I ever saw on the internet. It's, I'm going to have to check that out. There's also um that, a little uh, screen grab freeze frame moment when they go to the public access thing. There's a sign outside and it says home of the bizarre rant public access tv (laughs) which i really thought was pretty funny um yeah there's also one other line in that scene that i really love they're like decorating up the the public access 
And, you know, Marge brings her ferns and the truth, the most decorative thing of all. And then uh, Grandpa Simpson's hanging a flag in the background. And Marge says, hey, there's only 49 stars on that flag. And then Grandpa says, I'll be deep in the cold ground before I recognize (laughs) Missouri. (laughs) Missouri. (laughs) Which I live in Missouri. And uh, I, I... I agree with Grandpa Simpson. I, I'll be deep <laughs> in the cold ground before I recognize this state. <laughs> I did. I love that. I also, this is something I always note about this scene. And I mean, obviously, Homer's been through a lot. Maybe people are just getting tired of the story, but his actual speech is pretty bad. Like, I'm actually shocked <laughs> yeah. that this is the thing that clears his name. Like, they have to be like, yeah, you know, stop, stop. So it is funny to me that this is the thing that somehow. Uh, well, it, it, okay, so it's actually not. The actual yeah. thing that clears him is Willie, but the fact that they thought this speech would actually do much is pretty funny to me still. He actually kind of ends up doing a bizarre rant about old-timey bicycles. <laughs> it's just Maybe there's something about the building. It just pulls people into a weird headspace. I don't know. <laughs> right. So good. All right, so as we near the end of the episode, Willie comes to Homer. This is the actual... The moment where he finds a way to clear his name, um, Willie comes to Homer and tells him he secretly likes to film people and that he has footage he believes will prove his innocence. Homer, I love amateur video and your show is the most amateur video I ever saw. My hubby is secretly videotaping couples and cars. I didn't come forward because in this country it makes you look like a pervert. But every single Scottish person does it! Oh, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Oh, no, that's Mayor Quimby. Ah, here we go. (gasps) Precious Venus. (gasps) Thank you. Dad, this clears you completely. You know, the courts might not work anymore, but as long as everybody is videotaping everyone else, justice will be done. Okay, so this is something I know we both noted, and I just... Marge talking about filming each other all the time so justice will be served. Coming back to this whole conversation, it's way too ahead of its time. It's honestly disturbing how relevant to current times this clip is. Oh, absolutely. Like, think about the time in which this line was written. Like, there, you didn't have nobody, very few people had a camera on them. You know, a camera was a giant bulky thing, especially a video camera was a giant bulky thing. Went up on your shoulder, you know, like Marty McFly and Back to the Future. And that's how, and then to watch the thing back, you had to like take that and then go plug it into a TV and watch it back. And, you know, it was, it, I don't think that, anybody anticipated that there would be a time where literally every person has multiple cameras on them at all time that are capable of recording video, playing it back immediately and all of that. And to have written this joke, <laughs> like it, again, Simpsons did it, you know, they, they saw the future in a way, um, which is pretty, pretty crazy how far ahead of its time it is. Absolutely. And who, who, who thought, I mean, who really thought that we would have, you know, 4K HD cameras in our pocket. You know, I mean, that is just something people, you see this growing trend of people doing like music videos on their iPhone, indistinguishable from a a camera in a lot of ways. Like most people wouldn't even notice if you didn't point it out. So we are truly 
you know, content is easier to create than ever quality content. Like you have, people have the means. Um, and, and that's just something I didn't think I would ever see. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I, you know, I, I was an animator first before anything and I grew up wanting to make movies and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of kids, I think, from the '90s share this sort of this sort of story of like you know having your parents' video camera and then trying to make a movie with it, and how hard it was. You know, like there was no way to get it on a computer. Then in the early aughts, there was a thing called a tuner card where you could plug your camera up to the computer, but it didn't download the videos. You had to press record on the computer and then play on the camera. And if you had a one hour clip, it took one hour to get it on there and you hoped that nothing screwed up along the way. And then editing it and all that was, I used to, I used to take two VCRs and then like play a video on one and the other was my editing machine. So I press play on a small clip and then I'd hit record really quick and then I'd stop it. And then I put fast forward on the other one, kind of like a DJ, like remixing video. And that's how you would edit back in the day. And it was so painful and it was all standard definition. And now you see like beautiful high definition. I mean, I would love in a way to be a, you know, sixth grader wanting to make a movie right now. I saw my neighborhood kids were outside making uh from what I could tell, a Western with an iPad oh, the other day. They were amazing. all dressed in gear and they had the iPad out. And one amazing. of them was like, like, okay, when I call action, you jump and then you fall. And like, it was, I bet it was like 10 times better than anything I've ever made too. So, well, you know, so and I think back to like, you know, I've talked on the podcast before about how I used to tour in bands and, and do this and that. And a couple of those tours, we took like, you know, a shitty handheld video camera on and oftentimes, you know, something would happen, the, the camera would get reformatted, we would lose the videos. Uh, you just had no way to like, make quality so easily. Like it was a real, it took real effort to even, you know, have something fun to remember the tour by now people just phones hold so many videos, phones hold so much space or yeah. have so much space. You could, you could, you could, you could film a whole tour on your phone. So it's oh, just yeah. crazy seeing the access that we have now. Yeah. And the, how quickly you can go from filming it to it being published. You right. Know? I mean, you can, you can do it simultaneously. Whereas before it was a couple of day process from the moment you film to publishing. It's, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. And that for this line to have uh, sort of, you know, seen all of this coming is, is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, no one send me any messages about how Matt Groening's a time traveler. I'm not going to open those, but uh, they really, you know, we're talking about really smart people here who saw like trends and, and where stuff was going. And that's why so many of these jokes really, really hit like, you know, they land 10 years in the future almost every time. Yeah, absolutely. I also, um, this really quickly reminds me of uh, one last thing on the commentary was um, Greg Daniels talking about it was in the writer's room for this season that he first heard of a thing called the internet. Mm. He hadn't heard of it. And then some of the guys were talking about how there was like, you know, this thing that professors at colleges use to talk to each other and, you know, Usenet and all that, the alt dot, whatever. And they were talking about it because they were saying like, there's people on there and they're talking about the Simpsons. So they would go and read about the Simpsons and if, if you're familiar with Greg Daniels and, you know, done listen to any of the deep dive episodes with him um, about The Office, one of the big driving things about The Office and the creation of The Office that was so different was that they were actively participating with the audience while it was being written. They were reading what people were saying on the Internet about it. They weren't 
creating in a vacuum and in a way that directed the show. So mm. for for him to sort of be right at the cusp of this with the Simpsons and then <laughs> to find himself redefining it 10 years later with the office is pretty cool. Yeah, that is really, really cool. I mean, it, it you know, that's something I did not know. I, I feel like, I feel like I've watched the commentary for this episode and that detail did not jump out of me. That is really, really cool. What a the, weird thing. The commentary for this episode is really kind of strange. It's like five people talking over each other. <laughs> yeah, podcasts before podcasts, I always yeah. say. Yeah, absolutely. So good. So before we before we play this final clip, we see Rock Bottom apologize. So I wanted to, to hit this before I play the clip. We see them apologize and run off a list of corrections and I actually went through Frankiac and it took a lot of, you know, skipping around, but I wrote them all down. I don't believe I missed any. And the funny thing is Brandon did the same thing. Yep. We realized it after the fact. But <laughs> so much I, wasted time. <laughs> so much wasted time, but we got to read these. So here we go. People's Choice Award is America's greatest honor. Styrofoam is not made from kittens. <laughs> the UFO was a paper plate. The nerds on the internet are not geeks. I love that one. <laughs> the word, the word cheese is not funny in and of itself. It kind of is. <laughs> I, I don't know if I agree with that one fully. It kind of is. The older Flanders boy is Todd, not Rod. This actually helped me because I do always get those two confused. And now I it's know easy it's to get Todd, them confused. It's Todd, not Rod. Yeah, Todd, not Rod. Lyndon Johnson did not provide the voice of Yosemite Sam. That one kills me. <laughs> so funny. If you are reading this, you have no life. I laughed at that one while I was painstakingly going frame by frame through this and writing it down. Because <laughs> they were like, somebody's going to do this. And they decided yeah, to insult they, us. They true. knew someone would do it. <laughs> the other UFO was an upside down salad spinner. Our universities are not hotbeds of anything. That one I thought was funny because there is this narrative that like the university is a training ground for whatever ideals you want to say that it's a training ground for. And I always thought that was a really modern sort of idea. But like the fact that they made this joke means that it's that that sort of idea has been around for a long time. Been around for a long time. <laughs> Mr. Dershowitz did not literally have four eyes. <laughs> this is my favorite one, I think. Our viewers are not pathetic, sexless... Si <laughs> I can't even say it. Our viewers are not pathetic, sexless food tubes. Food tubes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Audrey Hepburn never weighed 400 pounds. The Cheers gang is not a real gang. Saltwater does not chase the thirsties away, quote unquote. <laughs> I like that. Uh, another great one. Licking an electrical outlet will not turn you into a mighty Morphin Power Ranger. <laughs> um, cats do not eventually turn into dogs. Thank, thank the Lord for that. Yeah, um, <laughs> bullets do not bounce off of fat guys. <laughs> Recycling does not deplete the ozone. Everything is 10% fruit juice. <laughs> the, the flesh-eating virus does not hide in ice cream. Janet Reno is evil. V8 juice is not one-eighth gasoline. And this is actually the only one that Bart says out loud. Or oh, no, yeah. they actually say the next one as well. Ted Koppel is a robot. Oh, Ted Koppel is a robot. <laughs> Women aren't from Venus and men aren't from Mars. <laughs> 
Fleiss does floss. Quail is familiar with common bathroom procedures. <laughs> that is obviously uh, Vice President Dan Quail they're yeah, referring yeah. to there. Bart is bad to the bone. I like that they snuck that in there. Godfrey Jones, which is the host of Rock Bottom, Godfrey Jones' wife is cheating on him. <laughs> the, the Beatles have not reunited to enter kickboxing competitions. That's a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> the bug on your TV screen can see into your home. Everyone on TV is better than you. The people who are writing this have no life. <laughs> <laughs> I like those last two because it's it's the people the everyone on TV is better than you, but the people writing TV have no life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean this the, the fact that these go by the screen and so they go by so quickly. It's a lot of them. It, it um, is. so so good. So yeah, this is this is great. I I love these. I love that they did that. It's a nice little button. I love that Bart and Homer. The the fact that anyone could read them though, and I also love that we don't see the Homer one. I wish we would have. But that really cracks me up. So in this final clip, we see that Homer has learned nothing and he's already eager to turn on Willie, even though he helped him clear his name, followed by Homer making up with the TV. See? Hmm. Homer, I thought you were an animal, but your daughter said you were a decent man. I guess she was right. You're both right. In our mad pursuit of a scoop, we members of the press sometimes make mistakes. Rock Bottom would like to make the following corrections. Wow, VHS isn't one of gasoline. And Ted Koppel is a robot. This you, Dad? Yay! Tomorrow on Rock Bottom, he's a foreigner who takes perverted videos of you when you least suspect it. He's Rowdy Roddy Peeper. That man is sick! Groundskeeper Willie saved you, Homer. But listen to the music! He's evil! Hasn't this experience taught you you can't believe everything you hear? Marge, my friend, I haven't learned a thing. <sighs> Let's never fight again. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, that is how this episode ends. I mean, Homer, his name is cleared. Uh, no thanks to his little shitty public access video, really. But it does, you know, Willie sees it, comes to him, offers to help him clear his name. And he's he's free of, of his shame. He is allowed to move on. Um, but he immediately turns on Willie and shows all of us that he's still Homer. He's still a dumbass. And he learns nothing. Yeah, I, I really like that touch, too, because it's sort of... You know, I, we see this a lot today as well. People always, I mean, we just spend a whole episode pointing at like sort of all of the problems with media and the internet and all that. But like, I'm going to be on Twitter later and like, we're all going to go right back to it because it's, it's, it's easy to kind of be pulled right back into it. We, we are all Homer in a way, which is again, why this show is so great because we see each character, there's a little bit of us in each of them, you know, and we, we can relate to each of them, even though they're all so different. It's just, yeah, it's what a great episode. So good. And that, and that's perfectly said. I mean, that was, that's like exactly my next question are your final thoughts on this episode. And I mean, that sort of wraps it up nicely. It's one of those things where we take all the things we love about the Simpsons, the funny jokes, the great setups, 
the relevance to modern day. This thing, you know, this episode has all of that on full display. I love this episode. It, it, you know, it's absurdly relevant even 28 years after it was released, not even made, but released. They were probably working on this thing in like 93. Um, and it just, it still blows my mind even now. It's, it, it's incredible. It, it, it makes me think of, um, another Simpsons that Bart and Stampy episode and the radio DJs, they're threatening to fire them and replace them with a computer and they show the computer and then they press a button and the computer's like, how about those bozos in DC? They're at it again. And the DJ's like, how does it keep up with the news like that? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons are kind of the same. How do they keep up with the times like that? It's like, oh, these things have just always, <laughs> don't praise the machine. These things yeah. have always been around. <laughs> these things have always been around. Don't fall into the trap. This is something I always say, everybody. Don't fall into the trap that the Simpsons predict anything. You're just dealing with a lot of really funny people who know you know, they, they sort of, they're plugged into that world. They're plugged into technology. They're plugged into all this information. They kind of see the trends. That's just part of being so smart, I think. I mean, we're talking about one of the smartest, funniest writer's room, writer's rooms in history. And of course they, you know, you take, you throw enough darts, you hit a bullseye. That's the yeah. point I always make. Um, Brandon, thanks so much for joining me, man. As always, you know, I had a, such a good time. No, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, always good talking with you. I can't wait to talk about another episode. Hell yeah. Everyone also, Brandon doesn't have social media, but if you love Brandon as much as I do, please tell me so that I can tell Brandon and we'll, we'll make sure that that happens. As for all of you, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at simpsonsisgreat at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, consider please leaving me a review on Apple or anywhere that accepts reviews. You can follow the official Instagram account at Simpsons is greater than, or on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of darkness on Instagram or Twitter or the internet. And I'm sure that you will find me and I'll see you all soon.